Hail and welcome to A is for All Hallows Eve, ectoplasm-stained notes on witchcraft. We are in the middle of the October series where I cover all things spooky, Halloween, and Samhain. So today, for the sake of saving the best for last, and that is Samhain, along with the blood moon lunar eclipse in Taurus, whoop, we all will be discussing Halloween specifically. The history of Halloween and how it has evolved into what it is today here in the United States, as well as all around the world, including the legend behind why we carve pumpkins. Also, I'll be sharing a jack-o'-lantern protection spell for those of you who still like to carve a good gourd every year, uh, a fun and simple recipe, a little bit about the Halloween candy hysteria of the late 20th century, and then going over some of the most beloved Halloween themes, and also movies available now, and some new things coming out this month. And I know what you're thinking, that's just basically the horror genre. But no, we're looking at movies, horror or otherwise, that are actually Halloween-themed, or take place on Halloween. A few of them, at least, because otherwise this could go on for days. So strap in again, because we're on the Halloween train through the ages, hitting some witchy goodness and then talking movies before I set you loose to unleash hell upon the mortal world, or go to work, or hang out with your friends, or whatever it is you do on the weekends. So let's get to it. So starting with Halloween history. Halloween, also known as All Hallows' Eve, is a holiday celebrated on the night of October 31st. It has a rich and varied history that spans centuries, drawing from a combination of Celtic, Roman, Christian, and other cultural traditions. Here is an extensive history of Halloween. Halloween's origins can be traced back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but pronounced Samhain. Samhain marked the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter in the Celtic calendar, which by all intents and purposes really only concerned with winter and summer, or the light half and dark halves of the year, around November 1st. The Celts, who mostly lived in what is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and northern France, believed that during this time of year, the boundary between the living and the dead blurred. The Celts may have thought that spirits who came to earth had the power to affect the living, cause harm to crops and livestock, or offer insight into the future. A wide range of things. <laughs> and it was a time when spirits, both benevolent and malevolent, could pass between these realms and walk the earth. So Samhain was traditionally observed on the evening of October 31st and continued into November 1st. First, coinciding with this time of year, as well as the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the darker, colder half of the year, this in-between, or liminal time. One of the most notable customs during Samhain was the lighting of large communal bonfires, and these bonfires had both practical and symbolic purposes. They provided warmth as the weather grew colder, and they were believed to have protective and purifying properties to ward off malevolent spirits. And, to protect themselves from malevolent spirits, the Celts often dressed in costumes and masks. These disguises were intended to confuse or scare away any spirits that might be wandering about. 
The Celts would also make offerings of food and drink to appease the spirits and seek their favor. And this was a way to ensure a good harvest in the coming year and to honor deceased ancestors. Samhain was considered a time of heightened divination. Druids, the religious leaders of the Celts, often conducted rituals to predict the future and gain insight into the coming year. And finally, as Samhain also marked the end of the harvest season, and it was a time for harvest celebrations and feasting, this was an opportunity to enjoy the fruits of the year's labor and to store food for the coming winter. Very important. In terms of transitioning into winter, Samhain symbolized the transition from the warm, abundant days of summer to the colder, darker days. And it was a time for communities to come together and prepare for the challenges of the coming season. Many of these customs associated with Samhain, such as bonfires, costumes, and offerings, have persisted and evolved into the modern traditions of Halloween, while the spiritual and religious elements of the festival have largely faded. Strictly where Halloween is concerned, the sense of a connection between the living and the dead remains a central theme. So to sum it up, Samhain was an ancient Celtic festival that celebrated the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter, marked by bonfires, costumes, and offerings to spirits and ancestors, and it has had a profound influence on the development of modern Halloween, and we're going to discuss it at length next week, but today is all about Halloween. But other cultures also had influence on Halloween. Enter Rome and Roman influence. When the Roman Empire conquered Celtic territories, some of their traditions merged with Samhain. For example, the festival of Feralia, a day to honor the dead, and the celebration of Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees, both contributed to Halloween's development. Feralia was an ancient Roman festival held on February 21st, which was a day dedicated to honoring the dead and paying respects to deceased ancestors. It was part of the Roman religious calendar and was primarily focused on remembering and honoring the spirits of the deceased. It was considered a time to appease and pay respects to the souls of the departed. And we can see the similarities here, if not in the case of the time of the year. On Feralia, Romans would visit cemeteries or tombs of their deceased relatives. They would bring offerings such as flowers, wreaths, and other symbolic gifts to place on the graves. Um, the offerings were meant to appease the spirits of the departed and ensure their peaceful rest in the afterlife. People would also perform rituals and ceremonies to commemorate the dead. And these rituals might involve lighting candles, making prayers, or offering food and wine to the deceased. Feralia was also a day of quiet and somber reflection. It was considered inappropriate to engage in festivities or celebrations on this day. People were expected to show reverence and respect for the spirits of the dead. But Feralia, along with several other festivals dedicated to the dead, had an influence on the development of Christian practices related to honoring the deceased as well. In particular, it is thought to have influenced the establishment of All Saints Day and All Souls Day in the Christian calendar, which brings us to Christianization, the dreaded subject. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. 
In the 7th century, the Catholic Church established All Saints Day on November 1st, also known as All Hallows Day. The night before became All Hallows Eve, or Halloween. This was an attempt to Christianize the Celtic Samhain, incorporating it into the church calendar. So let's dissect that. The establishment of All Saints Day on November 1st by the Catholic Church can be traced back to the early Christian efforts to Christianize existing pagan festivals and to honor the multitude of saints who did not have specific feast days. So here's an approximation of how and why the Catholic Church came to establish All Saints Day on November 1st. So in the early days of the Christian church, there was a concerted effort to convert pagan populations to Christianity. One common approach was to adapt or replace existing pagan festivals with Christian ones. And this strategy was intended to make the transition to Christianity more acceptable and familiar to pagan converts. In many parts of the Roman Empire, including parts of Europe, there were various harvest and ancestral pagan festivals during the autumn that focused on the changing of seasons and the remembrance of the dead. These included the Roman festivals of Feralia and Lemuria, a festival similar to Feralia but taking place in May and focused on appeasing and warding off malevolent spirits, particularly the restless, vengeful spirits of the deceased known as Lemurs or Larva, whereas Feralia was focused on honoring spirits of the deceased and ensuring their peaceful rest. And the Celtic festival of Samhain, of course, which occurred around the same time as the modern Halloween. The Christian response was to provide an alternative to these pagan festivals and to honor the numerous martyrs and saints of the Christian faith. The church established a feast day called All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows or Hallow Mass, and it was intended to serve as a Christian replacement for earlier pagan celebrations. The precise origins of All Saints Day are not entirely clear, but Pope Boniface IV is often credited with dedicating the old Roman temple known as the Pantheon as a Christian church called St. Mary and the Martyrs on May 13th, year 609, after the Byzantine Emperor Phocas gave the building to him. To quote John the Deacon in The Pantheon, Design, Meaning, and Progeny by William L. MacDonald, Another pope, Boniface, asked the same of Emperor Phocas and Constantine to order in that the old temple called the Pantheon, after the pagan filth was removed, a church should be made to the Holy Virgin Mary and all the martyrs, so that the commemoration of the saints would take place henceforth where not gods but demons were formerly worshipped. So th this displayed evidence of the Christian perspective on pagans, as well as the demonization of pagan gods. This new church was intended to serve as a place to honor all Christian martyrs and saints, and it is considered one of the earliest instances of a day dedicated to all saints. Later on in the 8th century, Pope Gregory III expanded the celebration of All Saints Day to the entire church and moved the date from May 13th to November 1st. The reasons for this change is not entirely clear, but it is thought to have been influenced by the fact that November 1st 
coincided with the existing pagan festivals such as Samhain and also marked the beginning of the colder, darker part of the year. By co-opting this date, the church aimed to provide a Christian alternative to various pagan observances. Over time, All Saints Day evolved into a day for honoring not only martyrs, but also all the faithful departed who had achieved sainthood, and it became a day of remembrance for the saints and all deceased loved ones. In addition to All Saints Day, the church later established All Souls Day on November 2nd to specifically pray for and remember all the faithful departed who had not yet attained the status of sainthood. This day complements All Saints Day. Today, All Saints Day on November 1st remains as an important feast in the Catholic Church and is a time to honor and celebrate all saints, known and unknown, and it continues the tradition of Christianizing earlier pagan observances while also reflecting the Christian belief in the communion of saints. So the transition from Samhain to All Saints Day, like the Christianization of many pagan festivals, likely involved some conflicts and resistance. But historical records are limited here. You will come across many individuals who argue whether pagans were brutally forced into Christianity through unspeakable atrocities, and some who will argue that the transition was not so horrific. Really, it's not as simple as either argument, and nothing really ever is. I don't recommend that you hold fast to either side of this debate, because both are missing a whole lot of nuance. However, there are some important points to consider regarding the potential conflicts during this transition. First, when Christianity began to spread into regions where pagan traditions like Samhain were deeply rooted, there could have been resistance from those who held on to their traditions, beliefs, and practices. Seems only natural. The conversion process was not always smooth for this reason. Second, on the other hand, in some cases, the church may have adapted its practices to incorporate elements of the existing pagan festivals to make the transition to Christianity more acceptable to the local population. This adaptation could have minimized conflicts. Third, and another possible condition in some regions, is that in some instances, the Christian and pagan traditions coexisted and blended together. This syncretism, the merging of religious beliefs and practices, allowed for a smoother transition. But it also preserved some of the elements of the older traditions within the new Christian framework. Fourth, and much more likely if recorded history is any indication, in other cases, the church might have actively discouraged or even prohibited pagan practices in favor of Christian ones, which could have led to conflicts or resistance. Again, only natural. The church sought to assert its authority and dominance over traditional practices. Fifth, the church had time on its hands. The transition from pagan festivals to Christian holidays like All Saints Day was typically a gradual process that took place over many centuries. As a result, conflicts and resistance may have been sporadic and regional, but the ultimate absorption and eventual erasure of many pagan traditions proved inevitable with time. And we also have geographical variations to consider. 
The acceptance and integration of Christian holidays over pagan ones likely varied by region. In some areas, the transition may have been relatively smooth, while in others, there may have been more significant conflicts. Unfortunately, there are limited historical records that provide detailed accounts of specific conflicts during the transition from Samhain to All Saints Day. Much of what we know is based on historical and archaeological research. Uh, I'm sure most of us can look at human history and make some safe assumptions here, but sadly, documentation is lacking. And as we know, history is written by the victors. But to sum it all up, while there were likely some conflicts and resistance associated with the transition from Samhain to All Saints Day, the degree and nature of these conflicts varied from place to place over time. The Christianization of pagan festivals often involved a mix of accommodation, adaptation, and in some cases, complete imposition to new traditions, making it very challenging to generalize about the nature of these conflicts. So let's move on to medieval times. Get your turkey legs and your jousting lances ready. Through the Middle Ages, Halloween, the night before All Saints Day, evolved in Europe, incorporating elements from various cultures. Traditional activities included lighting bonfires, carving turnips or beets, and dressing in costumes to ward off spirits. Uh, Carving turnips or beets as part of Halloween traditions has its roots in Celtic folklore and the legend of Stingy Jack. The practice predates the use of pumpkins for carving, which became more common when Halloween traditions were brought to North America. But here's the legend behind the carving of turnips or beets. The legend of Stingy Jack. The legend of carving turnips or beets is closely associated with a character known as Stingy Jack, a mischievous and deceitful man from Irish folklore. He was known for playing tricks on people, including the devil. According to legend, Stingy Jack managed to trick the devil on multiple occasions. In one story, he invited the devil for a drink, but didn't want to pay for it. He convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin to pay for the drinks. Jack placed the coin in his pocket alongside a silver cross, preventing the devil from returning to his original form. So I guess that drink didn't get paid for at all. Jack eventually made a deal with the devil that he would release him in exchange for the devil's promise not to claim his soul when he died. When Jack eventually did pass away, he found himself unable to enter heaven due to his misdeeds, and the devil, true to his word, refused to take him in hell. Also, having already been fooled by Jack on multiple occasions, the devil wanted nothing more to do with him and refused him to enter. Instead, he sent him off into the night with only a burning lump of coal in a hollowed-out turnip to guide his way. So, Jack's spirit was left to wander the earth with only this lit, carved turnip to light his way, and he became known as Jack of the Lantern or jack-o'-lantern. As this tale spread through communities, people began carving grotesque faces into turnips or beets and placing a candle or another light source inside to ward off the spirit of stingy Jack and any other malevolent entities. The idea was to mimic Jack's lantern to keep him away from their homes on Halloween night, as well as any other unwanted visitors. 
When Irish immigrants brought their Halloween traditions to North America, they discovered that pumpkins were more readily available and much easier to carve than turnips and beets. I've never carved a turnip or a beet, but it does not sound easy or fun. As a result, the tradition of carving pumpkins into jack-o'-lanterns became popular in the United States and eventually spread around the world. Today, the carving of pumpkins is one of the most iconic and recognizable symbols of Halloween. Uh, And this brings us to the immigration of Halloween to America. Halloween was brought to North America by Irish and Scottish immigrants in the 19th century, where here it began to take on a more secular and community-organized character. Halloween was initially met with a mixture of acceptance and skepticism when it was brought to North America, and its reception can be understood through various factors and phases. In the early 19th century, the newly arrived Halloween introduced customs such as carving turnips or potatoes, later replaced by pumpkins, costume wearing, and the telling of ghost stories. These traditions were met with curiosity and interest by some, while others were less familiar with or receptive of the customs. The religious and cultural attitudes of local populations played a significant role in the reception of this celebration. For example, some Protestant groups, particularly in New England, viewed Halloween as a pagan and superstitious holiday and were critical of it. However, in some other regions, particularly where the larger Irish and Scottish immigrant populations could be found, Halloween traditions found a more receptive audience. And the blending of traditions happened over time, despite resistance, as as it is with a lot of progress. Over time, Halloween traditions from different cultures began to merge and evolve, and the celebration of Halloween in North America incorporated elements of various European customs, including those of the Irish, Scots, English, and even Native American traditions. As the 19th century progressed, Halloween began to evolve into a more community-oriented celebration. It became a time for neighborhoods to come together for parties, games, and festive activities. The commercialization of Halloween with the sale of costumes and decorations also began to take hold and is probably where the birth of Halloween as we know it today truly took place. Capitalism, y'all. And finally, we see a shift toward a child-centered celebration. By the late 19th and early 20th centuries, Halloween had started to transform into a more child-centered holiday. It became associated with activities like trick-or-treating, where children would visit homes and receive treats. This shift made Halloween more accessible and appealing to families. And let's talk about trick-or-treating before we move on with the timeline. The tradition of trick-or-treating likely has its roots in the medieval practice of souling, where poor individuals went door-to-door on All Souls Day requesting food in exchange for prayers for the deceased. Trick-or-treating became popular in the United States during the mid-20th century, but what we know of trick-or-treating now barely resembles the absolute mayhem that persisted in the United States for quite a while. Its evolution from complete, unadulterated chaos to the more organized and harmless door-to-door candy collection involved several key historical developments and cultural shifts. 
In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, Halloween in the United States was a time for community gatherings, parties, and parades, and trick-or-treating as we know it today did not exist in this form. Because around this time, Halloween was also associated with mischievous and sometimes destructive pranks, often referred to as mischief night. This included activities like tipping over outhouses, horrifying, throwing eggs, rude, soaping windows, also rude, and much more, sometimes resulting in property destruction. These devilish pranks during Halloween caused concerns among community members, understandable, and there were growing efforts to curtail the destructive behavior. Towns and communities began to encourage alternative, more controlled activities to keep young people occupied and reduce their penchant for vandalism. (laughs) During the Great Depression and World War II, there was an increased emphasis on community unity and support. As a result, Halloween celebrations began to shift towards more organized and family-friendly events, such as costume parades, community parties, and games. Trick-or-treating as a concept had existed in various forms for centuries, but it started to gain popularity as a safer and more organized activity in the late 1930s and 1940s. And the earliest versions of trick-or-treating were not about collecting candy, but often involved children visiting local homes and requesting small gifts or treats, lest they play a prank. The post-World War II era saw the baby boom and the suburbanization of America. Families moved to newly developed suburbs where communities were closely knit, and trick-or-treating became an ideal way for children to interact with their neighbors and establish a sense of community. Look at these kids doing all the work. Enter the candy industry. The candy industry played a significant role in the popularization of trick-or-treating. Candy companies began marketing Halloween-specific candies and making it easier for households to provide treats to visiting children. In the 1970s and 1980s, concerns about safety and tampered candy led to increased scrutiny and regulation of Halloween activities. Parents and community organizations promoted the idea of collecting candy from trusted neighbors rather than accepting homemade treats. We're going to get to that in just a minute. In more recent years, the emphasis on trick-or-treating has shifted from the expectation of pranks or tricks to a focus on fun and creativity. Children dress up in costumes and visit homes for the simple pleasure of collecting candy, emphasizing the harmless nature of the activity. Today, trick-or-treating is firmly established as a beloved Halloween tradition in the United States. It promotes community engagement and is seen as a family-friendly activity that allows children to enjoy the holiday in a safe and controlled manner. I am not old enough to go trick-or-treating anymore, and I don't have any children of my own, but I absolutely love giving candy away at my door. So trick-or-treating in America underwent a transformation from chaotic and mischievous activities to the organized, family-friendly tradition we know today. This shift was influenced by societal changes, safety concerns, and the promotion of community bonding, making it a cherished part of Halloween celebrations. Which brings me to the urban legend of poisoned and tampered with candy. Because it is, in fact, an urban legend in the United States. 
The fear of poisoned or tampered candy on Halloween is largely an urban legend, and there is very little actual evidence to support such claims. Here are a few reasons why this fear is more myth than reality. Rare occurrences. Actual cases of Halloween candy being tampered with or poisoned are extremely rare. While there have been a small number of isolated incidents over the year, they are outliers and not representative of the norm. Media sensationalism. These rare incidents are often widely reported by the media, which can contribute to the perception that such occurrences are more common than they actually are. Sensationalized stories can heighten fear and concern, as we all know at this point in our society. Lack of motive. Most people have no motive to harm children through Halloween candy. Poisoning candy is a highly unusual and irrational act, as it is not easy to predict who will consume the tampered candy. The stranger danger myth. The idea of a stranger intentionally harming children with poisoned candy is not supported by data. Crimes against children are more likely to be committed by someone known to the family, such as a family member or an acquaintance. Sad, but true. Cost and effort. Lacing candy with poison or harmful substances would require a significant amount of effort and expense. Criminals with malicious intent would likely choose more effective and less traceable methods to cause harm. Community vigilance. Many communities have implemented safe trick-or-treating practices, such as inspecting candy before consumption or attending organized events to ensure the safety of children. Parents and communities take measures to reduce risks. Historical cases are disputed. Some historical cases that are often cited as evidence of candy tampering have been disputed and even debunked upon further investigation, meaning some of these were completely made up. Weird. And finally, a lack of actual reports. There is a lack of consistent and credible reports about widespread incidents of poisoned or tampered Halloween candy. It's important to acknowledge that the fear of poisoned Halloween candy is based more on fear and urban legends than on actual factual evidence. While it's wise for parents and guardians to exercise caution and inspect candy, of course... The risk of encountering tampered candy on Halloween is extremely low. The greater focus should be on safety, visibility, and ensuring that children have a fun and enjoyable Halloween experience. So jumping back into the timeline, we're just at the end now. Ominous as that sounds. So, in the 20th century, Halloween grew in popularity, becoming a well-liked and widely celebrated holiday in North America. It retained its festive and community-oriented nature, and it was increasingly embraced as a time for creativity, fun, and community bonding. Today, Halloween is a commercial and secular holiday celebrated in various countries featuring activities such as costume parties, haunted houses, corn mazes, and the exchange of candy. And while Halloween is often closely associated with the United States due to its widespread popularity and iconic traditions, such as trick-or-treating and the carving of pumpkins into jack-o'-lanterns, it is celebrated in various forms in many other countries, often with their own unique traditions and practices. 
Halloween is a unique holiday, but there are several other holidays celebrated around the world that share some similarities in terms of themes, customs, or their focus on the supernatural and the spirit world. Here's a short list of holidays that could could be compared to Halloween in regards to some similar traditions. The Day of the Dead, or Dia de los Muertos, celebrated in Mexico and by people of Mexican heritage around the world, this multi-day holiday honors deceased loved ones with colorful ofrendas or altars, sugar skulls, marigold decorations, and parades. Samhain, which again we'll be discussing in depth next week. Still celebrated by modern neo-pagans and witches, Samhain is an ancient Celtic festival from which Halloween has its origins. It marks the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter with a focus on honoring the dead. All Saints and All Souls Day, celebrated in many Catholic and Christian traditions, All Saints Day honors all saints, while All Souls is a day to remember and pray for the souls of the deceased. Oban, or Bon Festival, celebrated in Japan. Oban is a Buddhist holiday during which people honor their ancestors by lighting lanterns, visiting graves, and participating in traditional dances. Chusak, which is a Korean Thanksgiving Day. Celebrated in South Korea, Chusak is a harvest festival that includes rituals to honor deceased ancestors and visits to family graves. Pachumban, or Ancestors Day, celebrated in Cambodia. Pachumban is a 15-day Buddhist festival dedicated to making food offerings to appease and feed the spirits of deceased ancestors. Pichru Paksha. Observed in Hindu tradition, Pichu Paksha is a 16-day period during which Hindus honor their ancestors by making offerings of food and water. Hungry Ghost Festival, celebrated in various East Asian cultures including China and Taiwan, this festival is a time to honor deceased ancestors and appease wandering spirits with offerings of food and incense. Guy Fawkes Night, or Bonfire Night, celebrated in the United Kingdom. This November 5th holiday marks the failed gunpowder plot to blow up the House of Lords. It is celebrated with fireworks and bonfires, similar to Halloween's bonfire tradition. Fête de la Toussaint, or All Saints Day, in France. All Saints Day is observed with church services, and it is customary to visit cemeteries to pay respects to the deceased. The Festival of the Dead, or the Felnamarb. Celebrated in Ireland, this festival has roots in Celtic tradition and is dedicated to honoring deceased ancestors and the dead. In China, the Tengqi festival is celebrated with lanterns, offerings to ancestors, and the release of water lanterns on bodies of water. So Halloween has a complex and evolving history with its roots in ancient Celtic and Roman traditions and its development into a modern, largely secular celebration of costumes, candy, and community. It's a holiday that has seen many cultural influences and has adapted to the changing times while retaining some of its ancient elements. Today, Halloween is celebrated in many countries all around the world, and the nature of these celebrations is often influenced by local customs, cultures, and historical backgrounds. And while the United States is strongly associated with the modern, commercialized version of Halloween, other countries have embraced the holiday and put their own cultural spin on it, creating a rich tapestry of global Halloween traditions. 
And still, there are countries and cultures throughout the world that have their own celebrations that have entirely separate origins and traditions and might bear zero resemblance to Halloween at all, except for one very common thread seemingly connecting us all. Our fascination with the spirits of our ancestors and beloved dead and the lengths we go to honor them and connect with them from the other side of the veil. All right, we did it. There's your Halloween history, from ghosts to pumpkins. And speaking of pumpkins, Halloween is known for its spooky and eerie elements that contribute to the holiday's mysterious atmosphere. Some of the main spooky elements that we all recognize of Halloween include bats, a common symbol of Halloween associated with vampires, nocturnal creatures, and the supernatural. Witches, a classic Halloween icon, and they play a central role in many Halloween traditions. Their hats, broomsticks, cauldrons, and spells are often depicted in Halloween decor. Ghosts, uh, as apparitions of the deceased, are a fundamental element of Halloween's spooky theme. Ghostly figures and ghost stories are prevalent in the holiday's lore, and also prevalent in winter solstice and Christmas lore, which I will be getting to in a couple months. Skeletons and skulls, commonly used in Halloween decorations and costumes representing death and the macabre. Zombies, often depicted as reanimated corpses, a popular theme in horror and Halloween. Black cats. Black cats have long been associated with superstitions and folklore about witches specifically. They are often seen as a symbol of bad luck, making them a fitting addition to Halloween decorations. But they are not bad luck by any stretch, and in fact, they are no different from any other color cat. And the same goes for dogs. So don't skip over them at the adoption center because of a harebrained superstition. Cobwebs and spiders. Cobwebs and plastic spiders are used to create a spooky, abandoned look in Halloween decor, often associated with haunted houses. Jack-o'-lanterns, of course, carved pumpkins feature spooky faces that are illuminated from within by candles. They're a hallmark of Halloween, adding an eerie glow to the holiday. Gravestones. Fake gravestones and cemetery scenes are popular decorations, evoking the idea of a haunted burial ground and the realm of the dead. Cauldrons often associated with witches' potions, are, are used as a decorative item or serving vessels for Halloween parties. I almost said spirits. You know, they're filled with booze. <laughs> full moon. The full moon is a classic backdrop for the Halloween imagery, contributing to the eerie and supernatural ambiance. Haunted houses, including mazes, um, all staples of Halloween festivities where visitors encounter spooky characters, dark passageways, and scary surprises. Costumes, of course, featuring spooky or supernatural themes such as vampires, mummies, or ghouls. Horror films, my fave. Halloween is a time for watching horror films and series that feature elements like monsters, ghosts, and supernatural occurrences. I was just complaining to my husband that there aren't enough hours in the day to get the things accomplished that I want to do this month. And it's really because I've been watching nonstop horror and not using my time as wisely as I could. But it's October, so whatever. Gothic and dark aesthetics. The gothic and dark aesthetic characterized by dark clothing, dark makeup, and a fascination with the mysterious and macabre often embraced during Halloween. Or all year, who cares? 
So these spooky elements collectively contribute to the atmosphere of Halloween, creating a sense of mystery, enchantment, and the supernatural that defines the holiday's unique character. And movies go out of their way to capture all these elements during Halloween season. The horror genre thrives on it. But there are some movies that are so intrinsically connected to the spirit of Halloween that they transcend all genres and simply become referred to as Halloween movies. So I made a list of my top Halloween movies. Some are scary, some are funny. All are completely infused with the All Hallowed style. Now I love horror. I love horror comedy. And I love spooky family movies that come out during Halloween season. But not all of them are actually connected to the holiday of Halloween itself. So here's a list of some of my favorite Halloween-themed movies in these genres. Hocus Pocus, as well as Hocus Pocus 2. Obviously, both taking place during Halloween celebrations and having to do with some very iconic, wicked witches. Halloween Town. Enough said. I mean, the entire series, am I right? <laughs> the Nightmare Before Christmas, which I actually prefer to watch at Christmas time, but is absolutely Halloween themed as well. Not getting into that debate. Casper. Who can forget the iconic scene at the end of the movie where Casper, in human form, played by young Devin Sawa, dances with Cat, played by young Christina Ricci during her epic Halloween party? Beetlejuice is another Halloween favorite that is not set during Halloween, but its focus on the afterlife and the fact that the upcoming sequel will in fact be set during Halloween has earned it a space here. Plus, it's Beetlejuice. <laughs> Halloween. So the movie Halloween was originally called, or at least it was going to be called, The Babysitter Murders, which is technically what it's about if you remove the Michael Myers backstory from the equation, but a stroke of genius and a few adjustments resulted in the Halloween franchise that we know and love today. The Addams Family. The notorious Addams Family eats, sleeps, and breathes the Halloween aesthetic, and the end of the original Addams Family movie takes place at Halloween but Halloween elements and general spooky atmosphere is alive throughout this entire family-friendly spooky masterpiece. My personal favorite, Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat is, again, hands down, my favorite Halloween movie, and I watch it every single Halloween season. It's an anthology that includes ghosts, vampires, sort of, werewolves, the jack-o'-lantern folklore, all sorts of Halloween fun, and so much more. It's an absolute classic. Not for little kids, though. The Corpse Bride. This one might not take place during Halloween, but so many people forget that the true meaning of Halloween is to celebrate the souls of the dead on their return home. It's a celebration rather than a day where we fear fictional characters. And that's why Corpse Bride is the perfect Halloween movie. Sleepy Hollow. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is one of the most time-honored Halloween traditions in American history. The image of Ichabod Crane being pursued by the infamous Headless Horseman is as familiar as candy corn or jack-o'-lanterns. 
Scream, specifically Scream 6. The Scream franchise can be scary depending upon who you ask, but Scream 6 takes place during Halloween weekend, which means people in costumes are going to be everywhere, especially ghost face costumes. This one's a little silly, Hubie Halloween. <laughs> if you enjoy a Happy Madison production, basically turning off your brain just to enjoy complete nonsense, you'll especially love this Halloween installment where the town outcast goes out of his way to save some barely deserving community members from getting a gruesome comeuppance. It's packed with Halloween parties, haunted attractions, costumes, and much more Halloween activities, which means that I also have to mention the curse of Bridge Hollow. Here, released the following year, also by Netflix, this film stars Marlon Wayans as a strictly science-minded dad who has to accept the supernatural in order to save his family and his community from it on Halloween night. And Stingy Jack makes a special appearance. Practical Magic I think even if Halloween wasn't present in this film, it would still be on this list because of the sheer amount of witchiness available for us to feast our eyes on. As it turns out, Halloween is an important holiday and the Owens family, which has a long history of witchcraft, embraces the celebration. The movie features scenes with the Owens family engaging in Halloween festivities, such as decorating the house, wearing costumes, and participating in the local Halloween parade also jumping off of the roof of the house in full witch garb. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark Andre Overdahl's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is based on the book series written by Alvin Schwartz. If you remember, I actually shared one of those stories last week. And you may remember that it is set on Halloween in 1968. A group of teenage friends find the book, which one of them takes home, and that never ends well in the movies. Paranorman. Paranorman is another Halloween favorite that focuses not just on the dead, but what happens when people refuse to accept the truth of our darker histories and fail to heal from them. And it's a whole lot of fun and hilarity as well. Hellfest. On Halloween night, three young women and their respective boyfriends head to Hellfest, a ghoulish traveling carnival that features a labyrinth of rides, games, and mazes. And they soon face a bloody night of terror when a masked serial killer turns the horror theme park into his own personal playground. Frankenweenie. This incredible adaptation of the Frankenstein story was released a month before Halloween in 2012 and shares a spin on the story of a young Victor Frankenstein. If this amazingly entertaining story isn't enough to make you love the genre, the fan theory that this young Victor is the same Victor in The Corpse Bride, Peep the Skeleton Dog, who eventually goes on to become the Pumpkin King, Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas, Peep Zero, the Ghost Dog. Tales of Halloween. Another anthology. This Halloween film features 10 interwoven segments of witches, ghosts, deals with the devil on mischief night, neighbors taking Halloween decoration competitiveness too far, and much more. And I have two brand new additions to the list. Totally Killer on Prime. 35 years after the shocking murders of three teens, an infamous killer returns on Halloween night to claim a fourth victim. When 17-year-old Jamie comes face-to-face -face with the masked maniac, she accidentally time travels back to 1987. This horror comedy is filled with 
80s nostalgia, an unapologetic comparison between the youth of today and the youth of the 80s, and plenty of Halloween fun. Highly recommend this one. I watched it once, and I know I'm going to watch it again before Halloween. And also on Disney Plus and Hulu, the new Goosebumps series. 90s kids, such as myself, are getting even more R.L. Stein entertainment following the two Goosebumps movies to come out in 2015 and 2018, plus the Fear Street trilogy released on Netflix, which I thought personally was absolutely phenomenal, and I'll be watching it again at some point this month. But now we have a new series based on R.L. Stein's Goosebumps again, and so far the show's got a lot of promise. And I might add, all the scary struggles get started at a Halloween costume party that takes place in a haunted house. That'll do. And I'm looking forward to a few also. Uh, there's, well, I mean, there's quite a, there's quite a few, and I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to cram them all in. Um, looks like Halloween is probably going to be extended into November. But on my list of things to watch, I have Living for the Dead, a new paranormal investigation show on Hulu, which started already at the point of this recording, features an all-queer team of ghost investigators, researchers, mediums, and a witch, narrated and produced by Kristen Stewart. I just have to see what's going on here. It looks really interesting. The Enfield Poltergeist on Apple TV is released on October 27th. Yes, I've seen The Conjuring 2, and I watched a series and another documentary about this particular haunting already, but should I really let that stand in the way of feeding the ghoulish little nerd inside of me? No. Wolf Like Me, season two on Peacock. I loved the first season of this Australian Peacock series that features Isla Fisher as a werewolf and Josh Gad as her terrified boyfriend. And American Horror Stories on Hulu coming October 26th. Because this new season of American Horror Story just ain't doing it for me. Sorry, guys. I'm just not loving it so far. Maybe something will happen. I'm waiting. It's just not happening. Sorry. Not sorry. But if season two of American Horror Stories is any indication, we will be in for some fun horror shorts with this new season coming out on the 26th. All right. So that's that's all of it. Uh, please let me know if I missed anything, if you have a completely different opinion from me on some of these movies, uh, or if you have an honorable mention that you'd like me to give some attention to. But let's get on to a fun recipe. And then I'm going to send you off with a way to spell your jack-o'-lanterns for protection during this ghostly season. But first, a simple, traditional Halloween recipe seasoned pumpkin seeds. Of course. Ancient native cultures in the Americas consumed nutrient-dense pumpkin seeds, both raw and roasted, as far back as 10,000 years ago. There's no evidence that they sprinkled all these fun seasonings on them, however, but let's just do it because it's delicious. Ingredients. One pound of green hulled pumpkin seeds, or pepitas. One tablespoon of olive oil, one tablespoon of chili powder, one tablespoon of tamari sauce, two teaspoons of garlic powder, and some salt to taste. 
You're going to begin by preheating your oven to 300 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 150 degrees Celsius. Mix your pumpkin seeds, olive oil, chili powder, tamari, and garlic powder in a resealable one-gallon plastic bag. Seal the bag and knead to coat the seeds with the seasonings. This is a great way to do it without getting it all over your hands and up in your nails. Spread the coated seeds on a baking sheet in an even layer and then bake in your preheated oven for 15 minutes. Then turn the seeds over and then bake until the pumpkin seeds are lightly toasted and fragrant about another 15 minutes. Remove from the oven, sprinkle lightly with salt, and cool before serving. Delicious. And you can also store these in your refrigerator in an airtight bag if you want to hold on to them for a while. All right, now let's get on to the spell. Your jack-o'-lantern protection spell. Here's a simple protection spell you can incorporate into your Halloween jack-o'-lantern tradition. This spell is intended to add an element of protection to your home and loved ones during Halloween season. Remember, spell work is a personal and symbolic practice, so feel free to adapt this spell to suit your personal preferences. You will need a carved pumpkin or jack-o'-lantern, a candle or tea light, or an electric candle if you're using this outdoors, a lighter or matches if you're using a candle, a protection anointing oil or olive oil with cloves or clove oil will do just fine for protection, and something to inscribe your pumpkin with. Instructions. Choose a calm and quiet setting where you can perform your spell without distractions, and add a little extra to your jack-o'-lantern. On the bottom of your jack-o'-lantern, inscribe a protective symbol. It's going to touch the ground or the floor where the pumpkin sits, and therefore it will be concealed. I typically use a pentacle. Begin by lighting your candle, or you can flip on your little electric battery-operated John, because we know we use those for outdoors, right? And it'll work just fine. The flame represents the element of fire, which is associated with protection and transformation and purification in many magical traditions. Focus on your intention for protection. Think about what you want to protect and who you want to protect during the Halloween season. It could be your home, your loved ones, yourself, or all of the above. When you're finished setting your intentions, take your protective anointing oil and anoint your jack-o'-lantern. This can be, you can draw symbols on it. You can just anoint one spot. You can rub the whole thing down, whatever you prefer. Be careful not to make it flammable if you're using a real candle. Hold the pumpkin in your hands and imagine it as a guardian of light and protection. While holding the pumpkin, recite the following incantation or create your own in words that are more specific to your liking. By the power of this pumpkin's light, I ward off darkness and fear this night. Protect my home, my loved ones, and me with the spell of light, so mote it be. Carefully place your lit candle or your electric candle inside the jack-o'-lantern, allowing its light to shine through the carved face. As the candle's light shines through the pumpkin's face, visualize a protective barrier surrounding your home and loved ones, keeping negativity and harm at bay. Thank the pumpkin and the candle for their role in providing protection. Express your gratitude for the safeguarding energy you've created. And display the jack-o'-lantern in a prominent and visible location, such as your front porch or your window. The lit pumpkin will act as a symbol of of powerful protection. 
remember to monitor your candle while it's burning and extinguish it safely when you're not able to watch it closely. Or like I said, use one of them battery operated dudes that won't burn your house down. This jack-o'-lantern protection spell is a way to infuse a bit of magic into your Halloween traditions while also providing a symbolic sense of safety and protection during the season. And that is all that I have for you today. Please be well and have an amazing weekend and a wonderful Halloween season. so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you're listening. If you'd like some more content, please go to aisforagrimony.com, where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, the living grimoire, and soon to come, the coven shop. You can follow me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony that's an underscore in between each word over on threads under the same exact handle or you can like my facebook page at facebook.com slash a is for agrimony want to contact me shoot an email to reach at a is for agrimony.com and if you're interested in some exclusive bonus content, you can join the community over on Patreon at patreon.com slash A is for Agrimony, where I share early release unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, monthly spells, occasional bonus content, and more to come. Again, thank you for listening, be well, and have an amazing weekend. visibility, and ensuring that children have a fun and enjoyable Halloween experience. So, uh, coffee break. Probably the coffee is my, I should be drinking water. But I don't want to. Um, So jumping back into the timeline, we're just at the end now. Ominous as that sounds.